This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. Hello, my name is Casey Coomer. This is Author House. The book, Demons, Phantoms, and Me, A Love Affair with Flying by Warren Hall. Warren, how are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing fine, and I have a book in my hand here. Ready to go, and I like to hear that. Now, how did you come to write this book? Uh, I was just interested in it, and and I've been a person looking at flying for most of the world. It came out very well. I was surprised. It's about half an inch or something. It sells. I make money on it, actually. Well, that's good. That's good. What motivated you to write this book? I just enjoyed doing it. I had done that kind of thing when I was in schools and uh, had a book in that direction and put it all together and uh, come up with a really nice airplane on it and aircraft carrier. Anyway, it's it's still being sailing. Who does your book appeal to and why? It's uh, mostly... People who are interested in airplanes, number one, and people who like uh, just flying. The book, Demons, Phantoms, and Me, A Love Affair with Flying, by Warren Hall. Now, Warren, as a pilot, how did you get started in your love with flying? Oh, my goodness. I I tell this thing because when I was three years old, I had a big orange... Model, and I loved it for them. And I've liked airplanes all my life, still do, and uh, that's what I love. Yeah, local place, and that's uh, where I learned to fly and loved every minute of it. And I've played airplanes all my life, and I don't know anything about any other thing else. That's a good way to put it. What was the most challenging part about writing this book? It was easy. I don't, I don't really... That is a brilliant answer. <laughs> yeah. And the book is still selling. Well, that's great. That's very good. Very successful. What is one thing that you would like readers to take away from your book? I think it would be to, to read a book that uh, tells what somebody believes that he knows a lot about flying. Is flying has been all my life. And... Uh, I was a Navy fighter pilot. Do you have anything else that you would like to cover within this interview? Any major topics or character development? I think, well, first of all, when I was a little kid, I played with with airplanes. And then when I was uh, working, my first work at an airport, and uh, flying and helping other people fly, and just it worked out very well. So I still fly. I still have uh, people asking about this book. It's a love affair with flying, and so it is still being sold. Obviously, aviation is your passion and your purpose in this world, and you share it very well, sir. And that's very well said because 
airplanes is, is what I live on. Well, with that, sir, I'm going to go ahead and close this out. Uh, the book, Demons, Phantoms, and Me, A Love Affair with Flying by Warren Hall. Warren, thank you very much for being here with us today. Well, I appreciate you thinking about doing something for me. Of course, of course. Now, and we hope to hear from you soon. Um, and again, thank you very much for writing this brilliant book. Well, thank you, and I hope you have as much fun with it as I have. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Hello, my name is Casey Coomer. This is Author House. The book, Two-Factor Theory for Customer Service. Read about the compelling relationship of superior customer service to high profits by David Elwood. David, how are you, sir? I'm fine. And where are you from today? Well, I'm in Columbus, Indiana, Casey. I, this is my home. I've lived here for many years, and it's also the headquarters of the company that I work for, uh, Elwood Staffing by name. Excellent. What motivated you to write this book? Well, the, I think the main thing that caused me to write the book was that as we got into the staffing business some 20 years ago, I started becoming keenly aware of the great importance of treating customers very well, giving them good service, respecting them, uh, helping them to solve their problems. And the more I thought about it, the more I felt that the insights that I had or that emerged over the course of our of developing our business, the more I felt that it would be important to set those thoughts or those observations and inferences down on paper so that they could be uh, passed uh, on to the employees so that hopefully everybody in the company could have an attitude of superior customer service toward our customers. Who does this book appeal to and why? Well, I'd like to think that the book appeals to almost any person who is in business. Customers and providers are present throughout the entire business world. We all have customers, no matter what one's business, whether it's a profession, whether it's manufacturing, uh, whether it's uh, health care, legal services, or the staffing business such as we are in. 
we all have customers, and we are all providers of either, either the service or the tangible product that we sell. And so I like to feel that the book was written in sufficiently general terms that it would be useful to uh, everybody in the world of business. What is one thing that you would like readers to take away from your book in this interview? Well, I would like for them to understand that customer service is really inescapable. Sometimes you'll run into a person and he or she will seem to project the attitude that, well, they're not all that interested in customer service and they don't have to worry about it or they don't have to mess with it or deal with it. Well, I make the point in the book that you cannot escape the idea of customer service. If you are in business, you are in the customer service business. In fact, that's where the title of the book comes from. When I say the two-factor theory of customer service, what I mean is this, that the, the minimum number of products that you can deal with or work with when you're in business is two. One is your primary product, and the second product is the customer service product. Let me give you an example. Suppose your, your, only, your, your only product is ice cream cones. Maybe you only have vanilla. Well, you might say, only, I only have one product, vanilla ice cream cones. Well, that's fine, except that customer service is also a product. No matter how you slice it or dice it or present it, you're going to be providing customer service along with the ice cream cones. Well, let me give you another kind of example. Suppose your uh, service is legal advice. Well, you're going to be presenting customer service along with professional legal advice, whether you like it or not. You're going to be treating customers or your clients in such a way that they'll have positive or negative feelings toward you or they'll make positive or negative judgments about how you've uh, tried to help them. Those are just a couple of the ways in which um, the title of the book applies to businesses other than uh, the staffing business, which is what uh, our company is in. Is there a scene or chapter in this interview you'd like to highlight? Um, I don't. I don't think so. The uh, as most authors, I I feel that most of the chapters in the book are uh, significant. But no, I don't think there's a single chapter that I would want to highlight over others. Um, so far as a theme is concerned, well, of course, the prevailing theme throughout the whole book is the idea of trying to give unrelentingly superior customer service to everyone you deal with in the process of doing your business. The book? 
Two-factor theory for customer service. Read about the compelling relationship of superior customer service to high profits by David Elwood, Ph.D. David, now, how would you introduce this book to a friend or colleague in a few sentences? I think, Casey, what I would say is if you want a framework for thinking about customer service, you want to have an overview of how to understand and how to arrive at plans of action to provide good customer service, then this book would serve you well. What it provides is a framework for understanding customer service. Now, the book, I might explain, Casey, does not, the book does not catalog a huge number of individual techniques of customer service. It mentions some things in, that would be called techniques, but it is not a catalog of techniques. It is more a it is more an attempt to provide a framework for understanding how customer service works, and more an attempt to establish the idea that you cannot escape, and no person can escape the idea of customer service. He is a recipient of it, or he provides it if so long at any time that he, he interacts with a person in a business environment or in a business setting. So I, I would say uh, that's one of the central ideas that I try to get across in the book. Tell me how this book is different from others with similar topics. What sets it apart? I think the thing that is unique about this book is that it is written to encourage a clearer understanding of what goes on in customer service. Uh, and it is, it, it is written so that people can have a way for making, having, have a framework or a method for making judgments about whether or not they have received good customer service when they're interacting with a business, any kind of business. In fact, I've gotten feedback from several people that have told me that um, after reading the book, they, their, their sense of awareness of customer service considerably elevated and I argue that very thing in the book itself, and indeed people seem to agree with that idea. Uh, they don't, maybe before reading the book, they maybe didn't think that much about customer service, but after reading the book, they get to, th they become much more in tune with and much more sensitive to the idea of whether or not any given interaction with some, with a business entity uh, has, uh, been one in which good customer service was received or poor customer service was received. What are three words that you would use to describe your book? Oh, I would say a framework, a framework for understanding customer service. I would say the idea of superior customer service. One wants to give Customer service, incidentally, let me say, is always provided in business interactions 
but sometimes the customer service is terrible. It's there, but it's terrible. So what we what I try to do in the book is to concentrate on <clears throat> how one would go about providing superior customer service. And the thing that's so important about providing superior customer service is that if one looks at the research literature, he finds that superior customer service is associated with things that are important for business success. It's associated with higher profits. It's associated with lower turnover. It's associated with uh, a safer working environment. Also, uh, superior customer services related to productivity. People that give superior customer services are more productive than others. There are fewer accidents. Their absenteeism is not as high. There are any number of factors that are important in business success that are connected to or related to superior customer service. So those are some of the things that I try to think about when I'm talking with people about customer service, some of the things I try to mention, and they are things that are important to business success. Incidentally, um, it, I think it's commendable and important and worth encouraging to help people uh, be nice and polite and courteous and respectful toward other people, especially if you're in business. However, uh, the case of the compelling reason to provide superior customer service is that the better the customer service, the more likely the business is to succeed. Absolutely. So, so that's why uh, that's why we should provide customer service, not because we just want to be polite, and which is important, and and certainly to be encouraged. But when one is in business, he's in business, or she is in business, to try to make a profit, to try to make a a living, and to earn uh, dividends for stockholders and so forth. And superior customer service is an important way to assure that kind of an outcome. What was the most challenging part about writing this book? The, the most difficult part of writing the book was to try to get everything integrated throughout the book. And I confess that I worked very hard on that to try to make sure that when one read from one chapter to the next, that there was enough coherence, enough integrity, that the reader felt that he or she was able to follow a, a story. And that is not always to do uh, when one is trying to write a book. It's One can throw together a bunch of words and uh, maybe make a good sentence here and there, but uh, that's not the same thing as writing a book that has some overall integrity to it. I, and I wouldn't go so far as to claim that my book is perfect 
in that respect. But I think it's, but I, I think it's acceptable. Let me put it that way. Writing, as I suppose, isn't exactly new to you. Did you journal? Or do you have a blog or any other publications? Well, I've written, uh, Casey, I've written a number of scientific articles. Very interesting. And that's, they, they are different from most writing because they're highly technical and they're, the, the level of exactness, one might say, in a scientific article is much different from that of writing prose in general, especially if one writes fiction. Why it's it's much different from that. But uh, to just write uh, like with a blog, no, I have not done that. I have done a little poetry, um, which I enjoy. Uh, but um, the, this is uh, this book represents the. Oh, how can I put it? The this book represents the main thing that I have done that would be for consumption by people in general, as opposed to members of a professional scientific community. Where can we find your book? Well, uh, if one goes to Amazon.com, uh, he or she can find it there. Um, I, I'm sure that Author House, the publisher, would be able to direct people to the book. Um, I, I I don't personally try to fulfill uh, individual orders, but uh, the, the easiest way to get it is is, is through a uh, is through a company like Amazon. That's the easiest way. It's available online. Yes, yes, indeed. The book. Two-Factor Theory for Customer Service, read about the compelling relationship of superior customer service for high profits by David Elwood, Ph.D. David, this has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Half questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children ages 24 to 18 who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, she'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Animals as Seen Through God's Eyes, a walk through the Bible in search of the truth about animals. And our author, Dwyla R. Funk, joins me from Missouri. And a little town called, uh, it was an unusual name. What was it now? Was it Curiosity, or what was the name of your town? 
It's peculiar. Peculiar. Well, it has my curiosity. Share with me the a little of your background. Why are you interested in animals by first uh, request? Um, well, I think, I don't know. I always have been. I've always loved animals growing up, um, always had pets. And so that's, I don't know, it's just something that's been in me all my life. And you're not a veterinarian or anything related no, to the no, industry? No, I'm not. Um, probably should have been, um, except I get squeamish around blood and all that. So <laughs> I thought that probably wasn't a good thing for me. But Sure. Um, There's anyway, I mean, I, I pursued other interests, and although I keep going back to the whole issue about the animals. There is a, a general curiosity about animals and scripture, if you want to refer to it that way. In fact, some people have asked, oh, is, am I go- if, if I die and if I do go to heaven, am I going to see my dog or my cat or my, uh, my pet monkey, whatever it is? Mm-hmm. Is that part of your curiosity, or how did this book get written? What was the uh, impetus behind it? Well, I think, first of all, I guess just a little bit about my background so you understand I was not raised in a uh, family that, um, I guess we believed in God, but we were not church-going people or any of that. My grandmother was the one that was kind of uh, the catalyst to kind of get me closer to God. And so, but anyway, and she was the one that gave me my Bible that I had when I graduated high school and yada yada. But um, what got me to do this is, as in my adult years, um, and I started to get a little bit closer to God and reading the Bible for myself. Um, being from Missouri, I kind of got to know what's really going on instead of somebody tell me what's in it. Um, but then I, because I am drawn to people that love animals as well, and plus it was my animals that I've had, and when they passed on, um, I had the question, you know, what's going to happen? Do they go to heaven? Do they not? And I've heard a lot of people and a lot of preachers even saying that animals don't. They do not have a living soul, and so therefore they will not be in heaven. Mm-hmm. They're you know, unlike humans, I and mean, we're the only ones that will end up going to heaven. And that always bothered me, but I never really pursued it. And then I started having friends, because like I said, I'm drawn to people that love animals too, common interest. And they were having some of the same questions, and they've lost a pet. And was really, I mean, troubled with that. So finally, I decided um, to search out myself and because I work in a school district um, I'm off during the summer so I thought okay I'll take this opportunity to research the Bible for myself by this time I had read through the Bible but you know that took me a a couple years Um, but I mean I think it just finally I was going to be pursuing about this so I got you know an exhaustive concordance I used the Bibles that I had and I tried to research finding any other books out there that were on this topic. There weren't a lot, and they were hard to get your hands on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just did it myself, and I was writing out the scriptures, and I was going through trying to find anything at all. And after doing this, I was going to try to figure out, I was kind of just doing my own research, and that was it. I just wanted to find the answer. And so after doing that and finding an overwhelming amount of scriptures, not only covering about animals going to heaven, but so many other things about how we're supposed to treat animals, um, how God's used them to teach us messages. I mean, there was just a lot of information um, that it just dawned on me. I mean, I was finally realizing that, yes, indeed, animals do go to heaven. It's, it's there. You know, people are just willing to look. 
that they do have living souls just like we do. Yes, they are different than us, but God still made them, and he loves them, and he has a purpose for them. But, you know, just looking at all of this, and I realized somewhere down the road, that's when I thought, if I have all these questions, and I have friends that have these questions, and I can share, you know, with them what I found and encourage them to go look for themselves, but there's probably countless others that have the same questions that I did. There are probably not any other books out there that have dealt with this subject either. Have you found any? Very few. I mean, there are some, and there may be more now, um, but I know when I was trying to search, number one, going to bookstores, trying to find anything, you cannot Mm -hmm. find any. Um, Some online, I could find some, and some of them just weren't what I was looking for. I mean, there were some that were close, and I bought them, and I read them cover to cover and highlighted in them and all that. Um, Some that were good, and they did put a lot of scriptures it was just after doing all the research, I found there's so much more to share. And so that's when I went ahead. And I honestly, I talked myself out of this book. I don't know how many times. Mm. And I think just because of my fear, because that was not, that was never my idea or plan is to be a writer, you know, to write a book or to get it published. But it was like God kept putting things in my path. And so it was like, okay, I have to do this. Right. And so... Now, did did you it. not write another book called Thumper's Gift? Is that just a story that didn't get published, or how was that in, involved in, in your writing that, past? That again, I'm sorry. Thumper's what Gift, is, what is that? Was that oh, a story Thumper's that you... Gift. <laughs> that was, okay, that was a story, and I had to include it in there because it was kind of part of the journey, because this book is not only, you know, all the scriptures and what I found from my research, but it's also kind of my journey as well, you know, kind of what I went through with all this. Thumper's gift, I had, um, a, well, I had found, after I moved out to the country, a couple of orphan cottontails, and I raised them. And it was, Thumper was a couple of years old, two or three, and something happened. She got sick or something, and she died. Mm. And, of course, I was very sad, you know, overwhelmed with this. But it was like six months prior to her dying, I and I had been reading the Bible and kind of, um, this is before I started searching out the truth about what God really sees about animals, but it was, I had been reading the Bible, though, and getting to know God a lot more, and so about six months prior to Thumper dying, it was, I had this dream, and it was one of those dreams that was just kind of weird, and I, I know this may makes me sound crazy, but it was, it took place out here in the back by my woods. And it was at night, and I, I, it was a weird thing, and I saw all these animals out in the woods, and they were all getting along, and there was this big bear that stood up and was dressed, and it was kind of weird, but it was kind of talking to me, and I can't remember what all was said. Mm-hmm. But I remember coming in the house from my dream, this is from my dream, and I just remember, i got to remember this, this is really important. So when I woke up, I wrote down the dream, and that was it, and left it. Well, then, like I said, six months later, Thumper died. And that was really sad. Um, and that was probably one of the first losses that I had in my adult years of losing a pet. Now, prior to having that dream, were there any overindulgences with uh, exotic foods or other things that might have spurts that remembrance? No, no. I mean, no. sometimes I just, I, I can have weird dreams at times, but sometimes they're just, you know, silly dreams. And I didn't know that that meant anything at the time, that dream. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, it was one of those things. I had a dream. This was odd. I wrote it down. And sometimes I'll do that with dreams. If it's something that is, 
I don't know, I had this overwhelming feeling about it, that there's something about this dream. Hmm. And I've had a few of those over the years. It's not like it's all the time. But anyways, I don't know why I had it. Don't know why you had it. No, this this particular study, this research, this uh, delving into the mystery of animals through God's eyes, what did you discover that surprised you and may surprise the reader? What surprised me, I think, the most is that and granted, everybody has a right to believe what they want to believe. But, of course, I'm always trying to search out to find out the truth or what the facts are. Um, what I found in there is that if you go through the Bible, there's different things that repeat itself, and it kind of explains itself. That's the way I'm learning. This is what I've heard, but just trying to find it out myself. And when you go through and you really start going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you're looking at these things, and you're looking at the repeated message, Okay, this is what really surprised me, is how much people are so wanting to say, and I'm saying people in general, people that maybe don't have a connection with animals or what have you, but how they want to say that animals don't go to heaven, that God almost put them here on earth as things or to be used. Hmm. And that's not the case at all. Well, and if you really read it, I mean, God is about, we're supposed to show compassion to animals. Right. We're supposed to be caretakers of animals. You know, they are here for a purpose. That was not his initial plan, was for us to kill animals. And in the end, everything is going to turn out right in heaven. I mean, the way he's going to work things out, and there won't be any killing, and animals will be there. And so that's the most uh, amazing thing to me, is how people can so twist things around to suit their own needs. And I know, when I started off on this journey, I knew I was going to be faced with, okay, what if I find the answer is not what I want? Um, I've got to be able to know the truth. Mm. You know, I can believe whatever I want to believe, but it doesn't mean it's the truth. I wanted to find out what the Bible said about it. You've written 212 pages, and just for our listeners who may not know Scripture, it does talk about the lion and the lamb laying down together in a right. peaceful time. It also talks about horses in the book of Revelation. So right. there are some specific references that uh, could be, I don't know, they could be type and shadow or it could be just a, um, a visual or visionary thing. But there's a good possibility there will be actual animals, according to what I have read as well. Now, 212 pages, that's a lot of, uh, lot of information that you've shared. Uh, how long did it take you to complete this, Twyla? <laughs> um, well, like I said, I would do the research during the summer, and then I would just kind of put it away for during the school year. So honestly, it took all in all and for me to finally go through, I wrote it, I revised it after a couple of years each time. All in all, it took about 12 years. Twelve years. Uh, did you think uh, that this will be appealing to a lot of people that are religious or non-religious, perhaps? I think it could be, and I think it, it's primarily the reason I wrote it, like I said, is to share it with other people that are animal lovers and they had the same questions I did. And that I just wanted to share with them what I found and encourage them to seek out the truth for themselves. Go to the Bible themselves. Look at it. Don't just trust me on this. I wrote out the scriptures because that was the way I wanted to have a book. I wanted it right there where I could see it. But I encourage everybody to go and search out the truth for themselves. I mean, don't take anybody's word on anything. Think, I think yes. animal lovers, and I think some Christians would, and definitely Christians that are animal lovers, definitely. Some people won't want to because it's not the interest in that, not the message they want to see. Sure. And that's and, totally up to them, too. And you wouldn't call this a doctrinal stance. It's an opinion based on your study of Scripture, correct? Right. I mean, I am not a pastor. I <laughs> never went to seminary. I am just your average Joe. 
I mean, hopefully I'm reasonably intelligent. I mean, you know, going to college and I have, a, you know, my own career um, as a clinical social worker. But this is based on just anybody can go to the Word themselves, search it out for yourself, find out what God is telling you, you know, based on His Word in the Bible. Um, that's what I wanted to do and to show people is you don't have to go to seminary for God to talk to you. And you live in Curiosity, Missouri or something like that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now, share with my listeners how they can get a copy of Animals as Seen Through God's Eyes. Well, again, unfortunately, it's not in bookstores because this is my first book. But um, it is through, you can get it at through Author House. You can get it on Amazon.com and also BarnesandNoble.com. They also can request this at their local bookseller, just uh, for those who may be listening overseas or somewhere else in the world. Okay. This is uh, uh, still available, and, and you can also do a search under the author's name, Dwyla R. Funk, F-U-N-K, first name D-W-I-L-A-1-L. Dwyla, thank you for joining me today. Uh, are you planning to do a follow-up book uh, to this particular story? Well, at this moment, I, I don't. One, but who knows what God has in store? So if it comes up that there's a need or something else that I need to research on, then maybe. Very good. And just for a brief moment, introduce this book to my listeners one more time and get them interested in getting their own personal copy of Animals as Seen Through God's Eyes. Um, it's it's what it says. It is a walk through the Bible in search of the truth about animals, and I research the Bible from Genesis to Revelations to find out what God really says about it. It's um, it's a book of hope um, because I think God really does have it all planned out, and He is amazing. Uh, after doing the research, I began to love Him even more and more and trust Him with everything. So I'd encourage you to check it out, see what you think, and hopefully it'll encourage you to get into the Word yourself. Thank you for sharing your insight into Animals as Seen Through God's Eyes, a walk through the Bible in search of the truth about animals. Thank you, Dwyla, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker.